Amen. Hey, this morning we are continuing our study in 2 Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, don't have one with you, you can find one in the back of the pew in front of you. And we'd love for that to be a gift from us to you and your family. And if you're not familiar with how to use the Bible, you can find a table of contents at the front. It's going to let you know how to locate the book of 2 Thessalonians. And then as we make our way through, the large numbers are chapters and the small numbers are verses. This morning we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Hey, let me read this. I ask you to follow along with me and then we'll return once more to ask the Lord's blessing upon our time together. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we didn't have a right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we come into this place and uh, as you have uh, worked us to be here, you have superintended your will to bring us here in this place at this time. God, I just pray that you would work in our hearts God, for those of us this morning, we came in uh, suffering any number of maladies, any number of distractions, any numbers of difficulties we're going through, that this morning as we sit in here, that we would be comforted by the presence of your Holy Spirit. God, that we would find in you perfect peace. Your word tells us that he who keeps his mind stayed on you is found in perfect peace. And so, God, we need the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our minds, to even accomplish that this morning. We are a distracted people. Uh, we live busy lives that, don't seem, that seemingly don't stop. And so can you give us a break in this time to focus on you? Would you realign our hearts and minds to you? Cause us to focus on you in all things. Father, we well, want to come and just ask that you would be mightily at work in the other churches of our community. God, our desire is to see men and women in Greenville, Texas, and in Hunt County come to faith and trust in Jesus and we want to see that happen in all the various churches of our community. So what our ask is of you this morning is that you would give them such an amazingly, amazingly vibrant and beautiful time of worship that they would know this is not of us, this is from the Lord. And that in that they would worship you, and in worshiping you their hearts would be transformed. And then in the transformation of their hearts and our hearts together, beating as one under the banner of Jesus, that you would cause all of us, to bow down before your throne, to give you honor, glory, and worship now and forevermore. God, would you guide us in the study of your word, and by the power of your spirit, would you make application to our hearts? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Man, how appropriate is it? Labor Day coming up, and here we are talking about the issue of idleness, right? And so I, I read a, a report that came out of Harvard Business School back in 2018 on the issue of idleness. 
Now, they're discussing idleness in the workplace, and so idleness is this time where there's work to do, but you find yourself, for whatever reason, not doing it. Now, listen to this number. When they began to look at how much time was filled in the average employee's day for idleness, and they're looking at uh, doctors, they're looking at lawyers, they're looking at blue-collar workers, and so it's a really expansive study at it. And so when they took all these people and they averaged uh, they average uh, price per hour, they average rates, they average salary, and all these things. What they found is if you lay that across our population, within this country in the year 2018, that cost employers $100 billion in idleness. I don't know about you, but I don't carry that kind of cash on me. Right? It's a terrific sum of money. And so we think about $100 billion all because somebody's sitting in the corner thinking, I wonder what's happening on Facebook. I wonder if I could just jump over to Twitter. Oh my goodness, that's angry. Let me go back to Instagram to soothe my heart, right? And so in the middle of all these things and these pursuits, idleness has an incredibly high price tag. Now we think about that in terms of, of a Christian worldview. In this past summer at an IMB luncheon during the Southern Baptist Convention, the IMB is the International Mission Board. It's the foreign mission entity and arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. So it Uh, equips, it sends, it supports missionaries the world over. And so they looked globally at the world, and what they presented at this luncheon is they said 4.6 billion people, 59% of the globe's population is lost and without the gospel of Jesus Christ. 59% of the people in this world are lost and without the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we begin to think and, and begin to kind of turn our minds over to these things, how, what is the intersection of idleness with lostness? Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. Y'all, Jesus was not idle. He said when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He turns to the disciples, and you may remember these words. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. Idleness meets this intersection of lostness because the fate, the eternal fate of men and women and children in this world is impacted to the degree of our industry, the degree to which we are invested, and it is hampered, it is negatively impacted when we give ourselves over to idleness. Man, idleness is something that Paul addresses here because it has great importance more than just contributing to the bottom line of our employers, more than just adding into this $100 billion. Idleness is important because there are 4.6 billion people in this world without hope in Jesus Christ. Will you be a laborer? Will you go into his field? Paul is addressing this to this church here in in Thessalonica, and he wants to walk them through the problems of idleness and the solution to idleness. So look how he begins. He encourages them. He says, we command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul just automatically lays down this trump card, so to speak, right? In essence, he's saying, listen, I think this, I believe this, this is true. Jesus joins with me in this. And look at his negative command, the second half of verse 6. 
He says that you keep away from any brother or sister, any person who is walking in idleness. And when they do this, they are not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now, this idea of keeping away from them. Paul doesn't say, listen, they can be your friend. You can hang out with them some on Mondays. Like, you should grab coffee with this person. The picture he paints is essentially, I'm here, and I'm this idle person, and you guys are on the sixth row, right? Because the Stutzman and others are out. Like, this is your approach to idleness. You're like, whoa, we're going to stay back here because his idleness might be infectious, and so we don't want to get anywhere near him. That's the picture. Like, that's the picture. And it persists. So he doesn't say, listen, what you need to do is go up, to, go up to somebody and say, Jesse, listen, I know you are an idle brother, and you know what they say, idle hands are the devil's playground. And so listen, listen, we can't be friends until you work your idleness out. Like, that's not the picture there. And to where, like, two weeks later, I'm like, listen, I, I know you're idle, and your hands are over there, and the Satan's just, like, doing this with them, but, but you make the best bologna sandwiches, and so I've got to go to lunch with you, Jesse. He doesn't. I have no idea. I've never eaten bologna. These lips, these tongue, never tasted it. Could happen, though. Do you eat bologna? The verdict, you know, it's undecided. So. <laughs> so we persist in this command. We keep away from this brother who, the, 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 what his life is typified by is walking in idleness. And walking in idleness is this idea, not of just being lazy, not of just like a persisting siesta, but it's not living in the fulfillment of your obligations. So people expect you to do things, there is this expectation of work, there is this expectation of, of industriousness, and the idle person is not bothered by the expectations of the people around them. They simply don't care. There's nothing in them that says, oh, I need to fulfill my obligations, oh, I need to do this. And look at the command Paul gives. He doesn't just say, listen, I can't stand lazy people, they drive me nuts. He says, you need to keep away from the idle man or woman. You need to keep away from them because when you do that, you are following the mandates of Scripture. He says, when you do this, this person, when you keep away from them, you're following Scripture. When they engage idleness, you're not or they're not. Look back at chapter 2 and verse 15 in 1 Thessalonians. I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians. In chapter 2 and verse 15, speaking of these traditions and, and the strength to which he was encouraging them to hold on to them, he said, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either spoken by word or written by letter. So what is their posture meant to be in terms of the traditions, those things that they have come to know from the Apostle Paul? They're unmoving. They're unshakable. They are, they're, they're positively unassailable. They are remaining steadfast in this movement of having nothing to do and keeping their distance from the idle brother or sister. And they have to persist over that for the duration of their lives. So he moves from the negative in verse 6 to the positive in verse 7. So they've got to keep away from the idle, but now what are they to do? He says, for you yourselves know how to imitate us. You yourselves know you observed us, you saw us, because we were not idle when we were with you. And then he says, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. So Paul and, and Timothy and Sylvanus, they gave them this picture day in and day out of what it looked like not to be idle, of what it looked like to work, of what it looked like to be diligent, of what it looked like to fulfill their obligations. And so he's calling them in a real sense 
to recall that investment, to recall what it was like. And so he's saying, you remember last Labor Day, like we got together, everybody else went dove hunting, and we got together and we repaired that window at the widow woman's house, right? And you're not very handy and you kept hitting my thumb with a hammer. But do you remember that? Imitate that. Like find people who are engaged in working for the furtherance of the gospel and say, listen, what I see in you is a person who is not idle, is a person who makes the most of their time, is a person who makes the most of their words and their relationships. Can I spend time with you? Like, can I observe how you follow Jesus at work? Can I observe how you follow Jesus in your family? Can I observe how you follow Jesus in leading your kids? Because what I want to do is I want to imitate somebody who reminds me, who personifies, who takes on the flesh of Jesus here in the 21st century. This is what he's asking them to do. These are concrete examples that they they were able to remember. So you see, they're not sitting back here at some cafe with with their finger out drinking tea and saying, I don't know, darling, how did Paul act? Right? That's not them. They remember exactly how he acted. They remember exactly what he did. So when he says, imitate us, imitate the pattern, the example you saw in us, they're like, we get that. We know that. So we've got the idol over here. We've got to keep away from them. We've got the faithful over here. We have to make our lives resemble them. But just in case they forgot, he reminds them. He says, this is what we actually did. He said, we didn't eat anyone's bread without praying for it. We didn't walk by and say, listen, feed us, take care of us. You need to support us for all that you have. He says, but it was with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul didn't want to burden them. Paul didn't want them to have to take on the responsibility solely of shouldering the burden of what it was like to support him, Timothy, and Sylvanus. Do you see the humility in there? Do you see the kindness that he has for them in there? See, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, we're given this instruction to help one another, to shoulder one another's burdens. And a burden simply is this. A burden is something you can't carry on your own. A burden is something you can't overcome on your own. A burden is something God has given you that you have no right ability, no amount of training, no amount of patience, no amount of endurance, no ability ever to carry on your own. And what Paul is saying is this thing that is too difficult for us, we didn't want to put on you. So we worked ourselves tirelessly so it wouldn't land on your shoulders. Paul's teaching them responsibility. Paul's teaching them what it looks like to work hard. He's teaching them what it looks like to endeavor not to be a drain on their community. Now, I want to remind you, these aren't rich people. Like the people there in Thessalonica, they don't make it rain, right? They're not making it rain with money. These people there in Thessalonica, they are themselves working night and day in likely this subsistence kind of living. So I work to eat and I eat so I have enough energy to go to work tomorrow and to work again. This is the life they live. They're not planning their next trip to Cabo. They're not planning their next trip to the Grand Canyon. They're not thinking, I wonder what leisurely activity I'm going to engage in tomorrow on Labor Day. Y'all, I'm sleeping in. But listen, they're not thinking these things. Paul says we mimicked what it looks we we gave you an example so you could mimic us of what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ in this community imitate us we labored night and day so it wouldn't be this crushing burden on you and we think about this from the from the perspective of how important the apostle Paul is in their community 
And what we walk away with, and what I see in this, and I hope you agree, is this wonderful picture of humility that he wants to be pervasive in their community. Paul wants them to engage in humility because humility does not demand to be served, but humility meets demands and serves itself. Look at what he says. He says, it was not because we do not have that right. Essentially, Paul says, listen, I could have come to your house and said, Matt, listen, I like fried eggs, I like bacon, I like dark coffee, I like it at 6.15, okay? See you in the morning, big guy. I want those, I want those fried eggs farm fresh, buddy. I want that coffee fresh ground, you know what I'm saying? Real plate, not paper. Paper, mmm, eebie-jeebies on the fried egg, don't like it. He said, we had every right to come in and do these things, but we didn't. Why? Because we wanted to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Do you see the humility there? The pastoral heart and the sensitivity of Paul coming close to them and saying, we wanted you to see what it looks like to serve someone else. I could have come in there and said, listen, you serve me, you take care of me, you make my life good. And that's your obligation to me, Paul, as an apostle. But I didn't want you to have that because what I wanted you to have more than anything was a template and an example for how to live in this community and be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Paul writing to the church in Philippi and then rolling from the instruction that he gives to them and the instruction that Jesus gives to all of us. Find these words in chapter 2. Starting in verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Can you not see the Apostle Paul living this out? He did not have to work night and day. He could have come in there and said, listen, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, serve me, take care of me so I can be more faithful and fruitful with the gospel. But he knew they needed this. And Jesus knows we need his service. And so this is why Paul goes on to write in verse 6, speaking of Jesus, he says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. A thing to be held on to greedily. A thing to be leveraged for his own benefit. Instead, he says, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in, human, born in likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus could have shown up and said, listen, serve me, worship me, everyone bow down. But what did he do? The Bible tells us time and time again, the Son of Man came not to be served, but the Son of Man came to, everybody say, serve. The Son of Man came to serve. To give us a pattern, an example to follow, to what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we wanted to give you this example of what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, following the example of Jesus in service, and follow our example as well. He says, you'll remember that when we were there, we gave you this command over and again. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. This isn't something new they're hearing. This was very much tied to the message that he gave to them when he was with them a year, year and a half before. simple command. Listen to what he says. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Like this is not 
difficult to understand. It's a really simple concept. So the way that Paul writes this is not merely if somebody's poor, don't care for them. What does he say? You've got this man, you've got this woman, you've got this person. They are not willing to work. The implication there is that they're able-bodied, work's available, got a good boss, got a boss anyway, questions out on whether or not he's good. They're not willing. They have no desire, they got plenty of opportunity. They are not willing to work, and Paul says the negative impact of this, the consequence of this is they should not eat. They should not be this burden on their community. Let's, let's talk about this for a second. Because I think for some of us, this is the, this is the math we're doing in our heads right now, right? Like you're going to be driving in downtown Dallas. You're going to be coming up uh, to uh, the, the service road in Wesley. And somebody's got this little cardboard cutout that says, poor, hungry, uh, vet, you know, whatever it is. I don't know why this veterinarian's without food, but he is. And so he's there, and he's holding this sign, and he says, you know, uh, please feed me. Please care for my family. And what happens for, to a lot of us in, in our minds is we're like, I don't see that guy eating because I don't see that guy working. Listen, I would love to help you. I'd love nothing more than to give you a Chick-fil-A gift card. God's chicken will heal. I'd love nothing more than to give that to you, but you're not working, so I'm not feeding. Like that, I've heard that out of the mouths of some of our members. Like I've heard that, that thought repeated in so many Christian circles. You know, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying when you see somebody not working, when you see somebody not engaging in industry, this is an automatic pass for you to not engage in mercy, to not engage in compassion. What he's saying is that within the confines of the church, when we find someone in the body of the church unwilling to work, We've worked with them. We've connected them to jobs. We're helping them along this path. And they look at it over the course. They say, I'm not willing to work. I'm not willing to give myself to these pursuits. They're no longer your responsibility. You see, poverty does not equal idleness. What we recognize is over the course of Scripture, poverty is an open door to involvement and investment for the church. Look back at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 18 and 19. This is where we begin to see the character of our God. Speaking of God, he says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Y'all, like, this is our God. This is the Old Testament angry version of God that you have in your head, the one with the big beard, the one with the lightning bolt in this hand and a whip in that hand. Like, this is that guy, and this is his character. He's executing justice for the fatherless. He's caring for the orphan and the widow. So he turns to his people, and this is what he says to them. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. So why should the church, why should the people of God be compassionate? Because our God is. Because our God is. You see, poverty requires mercy. Poverty requires an investment of us of mercy that we would come close to those in need, that we would see their need as an open door and an opportunity to display the goodness of God to us in 
through us to them. James 1 and 27, this is how James, the brother of Jesus, wrote it. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. It's this amazing thing. He says, listen, if you really want to be holy, if you really want to be righteous, if you really want to be seen as a person that's close to the heart of God, when you see someone in need, do something about it. Like, it's not rocket science, and praise God, because I'm terrible at math. Like, when you see someone in need, and you have the ability to help them, help them. Like, this is something we can do. Like, this is absolutely something we can do. You're walking down the street, you got $5 in your pocket, you see a sign, the guy says, I need $5. Listen, the math's not hard. You don't have to cut the bill around the corner. Like, give them the $5. What would it look like for you to be more concerned with compassion and mercy than frugality? What would it look like for you to be more concerned with passion, compassion and mercy than I don't know what that person's going to do with that money? Who cares at this point? What is your heart saying before the Lord? Care for the sojourner. Execute justice for the fatherless. Execute justice for the widow. When James writes this in 127, do you know who had no rights in the first century? The widow and the orphan. Like, no rights. They were solely dependent on the community to care for them. And so what is he saying? If you don't care for those who no one cares for, your heart's not close to the Lord. It's far away. This is the heart of our God. This is what he wants our hearts to look like as well. And so I can see the gears turning in your collective minds. Look at Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Jesus says, beware practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Like, this is written for the 21st century Instagrammer. This is written for us who want to highlight all the good things we've ever done and chronicle them on Facebook and Twitter and send them to our friends. Look at how charitable I'm being. Look at how amazing. Look how dirty this homeless person is. Look how great I am. Right? Like, in the middle of this, he says, don't let people celebrate you and the good things you do. He says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Do good and be quiet. Do good and and don't feel compelled to tell somebody, I did a really good deed today. You'd be really proud of me. Heart shape, pray hands, dollar sign. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. What's Jesus' expectation? That they would give. There's no need for instruction in there if giving is not the expectation. Because giving is the expectation. He has to temper our hearts and our desire to be praised, our desire to be adored, our desire to be recognized for people to say, he's a pretty good guy. She's a pretty good girl. Did you see how they care for that horribly stinky, terrible homeless person? Wow, that's a lot of adjectives. How close did you get? He says, because giving is the expectation, this is what our hearts need to know. Sound no trumpets. Don't desire the praise of others. Truly I say to you, they have already received their reward. He says, instead, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is what we need to be. This is what we need to be. Like this is why as a church, we don't put plaques, we don't put people's names on giving. 
This is why we don't publicize at the end of the month, like, these are our top five givers of the month. We, yeah. So we would be stealing the reward that God has for you. The kingdom of God has an inverted order. Our world teaches us that those who are most recognized should be most celebrated. But the kingdom of heaven, God goes out and says, listen, don't tell anybody what you're doing. Serve me with your heart and serve me with your heart alone. And in fact, your reward will be great in heaven. And so we're not judging the poor. We're engaging with them because poverty requires mercy, but idleness requires correction. Do you see the difference? We come near to the idol in our church, our brother or sister who's here. They have every ability to work, but they'd rather sit at home and play video games. They have every ability to work, but they sit at home and they just wait for somebody to help them out. They have every ability to work, every opportunity to be industrious, but instead what they do is sit back and wait for somebody else to solve their problems. To this person, the word of correction is coming. And to this person, the pain of hunger is upon them. If they're not willing to work, let him not eat. You see, the problem isn't merely theoretical for the Thessalonians. Paul wrote and he says, listen, we here, we're in Corinth months uh, down the road from you, but hearing these things, that some among you walk in idleness. They walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. You see, they fail to remember, they fail to recognize that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, one of the aspects of the fall, one of the pain, painful aspects of the fall is that work is difficult. Like it's the worst four-letter word in the English language. Listen to what he says. He says, Genesis 3, 19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. How long do we work? As long as you're living. As long as we're living. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. If you're looking for retirement, it looks a lot like death. <laughs> I got to change my uh, retirement contributions. <laughs> it's just going to hit me all of a sudden there. Yikes. The insurance money will be good for you. I apparently won't need it. So. Where was I? I, don't, I distracted myself, and I blame that on me. <sighs> Sometimes, right? And so we see this person, he says, they're walking in idleness. It's, it's, it's the warp and woof of their life. Like, this is how they're known in the community. So when he says, we hear from among you there are those who walk in idleness, it's, pretty, it's a pretty fascinating thing to put together, right? Because the idle are certainly sedentary. But what he describes them is they're walking in idleness. This is what they do over the course of their lives. So people know them. People say, oh, man, he, he's, talking about, he's talking about Bob. Oh, man, he's talking about Sue. Oh, goodness gracious, he's, he, he's talking about me. And so it's this piercing thing that they know the people in their community so well that they know exactly who he's talking about. He says they are not busy in work. But they're busy bodies. Now, the danger of idleness is the idle have ample time on their hands to sow seeds of discord. The idle have ample time on their hands to engage in gossip. The idle have ample time on their hands to engage in slander. The idle have ample time on their hands to destroy the church. 
This is why Paul gives to Timothy really clear directions in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 13. It's, it's instructions for younger widows, but it holds true and it is helpful for us. He says, besides this, when they don't have anything to do, he says they learn to be idlers. Like they sit in the school of idleness. When they see other people around them not do anything but sit at home and watch their stories, they're learning to follow that same pattern. He says, not only idlers, but also gossips. Going about from house to house, not only as idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. They are governed not according to the working for the kingdom, but they are governed according to what suits them and what entertains them and what helps them pass the time. He says they're not busy, they're not working, but they're busybodies. So this is the person who shows up at your work. You're working behind a counter, and they come in, they plop down on a stool, and they're like, hey, how's it going? How's life going? And you're like, man, I am working here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ten quick minutes. Ten quick minutes, 30 minutes later, a lunch break later, an employee intervention later. They're still there. This brother, sister does not catch the drift. They've got to leave. This person shows up at your house when you're trying to go to bed, because they're not trying to wake up in the morning. This person shows up at the job site and says, oh, what are you doing there, building a fence? That's great. What is this, lumber? You're like, no, it's, yes, of course it's lumber. Do you have any other stupid questions? Oh, I got bunch. I'm idle. I got bunches and bunches. Mom always said I got lots of questions. So your mom left home. Hey, how'd you know that? Oh, just asking. (laughs) Just a hunch. The idle person needs to feel the sting of hunger. The idle person needs to hear the rebuke of the collective. Because the idle person dishonors God. And the idle person is bringing and damaging the reputation of the church. They're not busy, but they're busy bodies. So Paul has a really simple instruction. He says, now we command and encourage such persons in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 11, this is what he said will be good for the church. He says, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs. Not everything that's happening in somebody else's life is something you need to know. Not everything going on in someone else's life is something you need to be aware of. Mind your own affairs. He says, work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. When you make yourself a burden on the people of the church, it makes it very difficult for the church to fulfill its obligation of being both salt and light to people who have no gospel presence in their lives. If you can work, work. It's a really simple application. If there are those in your lives that you are supporting who have the ability to work, consider having a hard conversation with them. Do you like air conditioning? Do you like living rent-free? Like I'm thinking of my uh, six-year-old at this time. Do you like food? He doesn't, so that's not an issue for him. Do you like these things? If you want these things to continue, you need to contribute. It's a hard conversation. 
There are a terrific number uh, of us in this church and in this community who see our grown children come back and live with us again, who have the ability to work, but no desire. I want to play video games. I want to chase my dreams. I want to sit at home and think about chasing my dreams. And it looks a lot like sleeping until 1030 when you're at work. It's humorous and terrifying. Some of us, we've raised a generation of idle people. We've done everything for our kids, so we've not raised them to be industrious. Your kids are preteens, they're in elementary school. You've never considered making them do anything. They don't fold their clothes, they don't make their bed. They're not bathing themselves. They're 15 and you're bathing them. What in the world is going on? I can still smell you. It's called soap. What would it look like if we took seriously God's call to raise up people, men and women of industry, men and women who would give themselves to work and run away from idleness? Listen, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus found us idle. He found us living in sin, mired in darkness and death. And Ephesians 2 says, and we liked it. And God brought the good news of the gospel home to our hearts that were mired in enjoying idleness. And he transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his glorious light. God has taken those of us who our sins were idleness and he has made us to be workers in his kingdom. God has taken those of us who were workaholics And he has baptized and redeemed our approach to work, where formerly work was our identity. I wanted to be known as a hard worker. I wanted to be known as someone who is wealthy. I wanted to be known as someone who could be depended on. Now I want to be known for my Savior. I want to be known for my King. What has it looked like for you to receive the compassion, the loving kindness of our God? As he has come near to you, and transformed who you are and made you into a new creation in him. Are you ready to be sent into the field? Are you ready to be a worker? Y'all, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you give us an opportunity to worship you. And God, our working with you, in some sense working for you, it's not a working for our salvation. But God, we just want to be found faithful. We want to work to glorify you because we want every fiber of our beings to live in submission to you in all things. So God, I pray for those of us in this room who we're thinking about hard conversations we're going to have to have with the idol in our lives. God, for those of us in this room, who, this has been a hard conversation for us to hear because in truth, we are idle. We're not fulfilling our obligations. We're not honoring you in what we do. We're satisfying ourselves and our appetites. And God, we pray for any in this hearing that do not know you and what they have heard over the course of our lives is there's something they need to do, there's something they need to be in order to be saved. That the message of the cross that they would hear today 
is that you have saved them in spite of their efforts. You have saved them in spite of their failings. And that in the body of Jesus Christ, you took on the penalty and the punishment for their sins and their shortcomings. And that in Jesus Christ, you overcame sin and death, and you are calling them to yourself through his blood shed on their behalf. God, we ask for your grace and your mercy that you would lead, guide, and direct us in all things. We submit these things to you in Christ's name. Amen.